Hey, Connection Point, welcome to part three of Jesus Loves Me. I'm so proud of you for being in church and journeying through this series as we're learning the Christian essentials. You might be wondering, what is wrong with my voice? Why do I sound a little bit like Clint Eastwood or at least like I have a cold? And the reality is I was playing basketball this last week in our gym, a pretty high energy game, and a guy who was not trying to hurt me ended up elbowing me and he hit me in the one square inch of my body that affects my throat right in the voice box. So right now my throat is bruised and swollen. There's some damage in there. I'm seeing a specialist. Feel free to pray that my throat heals up fine for next weekend. But here's the good news for this weekend. This exact message of Jesus Loves Me is one that I've preached before, and we actually have high-quality video of it. So we'll be watching that today, and I've gotten to re-watch the video as I was preparing for this weekend, and I know God's going to speak. In fact, I believe God's going to speak in a very personal way. So if you would, try to focus in and think not about the fact that it's a video, but about the fact that God is speaking through His Word to us today. So when I was in elementary school, I loved passing notes. Uh, I went to a really strict private school, so me and the other inmates, uh, whenever our teacher would turn her back to us by, you know, writing on the chalkboard, we would pass notes across the aisles. And I remember around fourth or fifth grade that our notes started turning into love notes. And I remember specifically a day in fourth grade when I wrote this note, and maybe it's a note that you've received or a note that you've written. And on the note, I wrote, um, Dear Stacy, do you love me? Please check one box. <laughs> yes or no. And, you know, I, I folded it up neatly and uh, passed it through the class post office system. It slowly made its way across the room, and I watched in eager anticipation as Stacy opened the note, and I tried to discern in her eyes from the other side of the room, you know, is she checking yes or is she checking no? And uh, she turned and smiled at me, so I thought, I think she's checking yes. Stacy did check yes. It was a great day in my fourth grade career. Here's a more serious question I want to ask you. If you could slip a note like this onto God's desk, what do you think he would check? And I ask not in the churchy sense or not the answer you'd give to other people, but really very privately, just between you and yourself or between you and God, do you think he would check yes? Or is there part of you that maybe worries and wonders, suspects that maybe he would check no. I mean, do you really, in, in your private, quiet places of your inner person, do you think God is fond of you? Do you think God likes you? Do you think he cares about you? Do you think he would say, yeah, I, I love her. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, I, I want the best for her. I think from fourth grade on, whether we realize it or not, we're going through life and we're kind of putting these feelers out to discover if we are loved. But not just in the romantic sense. What we want to know is like, are we valued? Am I wanted? Am I secure? 
And so I think through our accomplishments and our careers and our possessions and our relationships, what we're doing is we're looking to the people and the things that we value, and we're kind of looking them to, to say, you know, Stacy, do you, do you love me? Do you like me? And we keep saying this throughout life to maybe an authority figure that we look up to or people in the industry that we look up to or people in our relationships. And really what we're doing is we're hunting for affirmation and for self-value and for security. And as we're doing this, here comes a question. You know, how can you really know if someone loves you? Uh, these people that you're building relationships with and investing in, how can you really know if someone loves you? I mean, beyond passing them a note and they check a box, but in real life, doesn't it get a little more complicated? And so how can you really know, you know, in a world where uh, maybe your parents have gone through a divorce and there's a custody battle, and it's like both of them will say anything to tell you that they love you, but you start to realize, like, it's really about controlling, about having me as a pawn in their little fight with each other. Or you you have an employer or advertisers, right? It's like they'll tell you anything you want to hear because they actually just want to get something from you. And the longer you live life, the more you start to realize, like, okay, it's not as simple as someone checking a box. Like, how do I actually know if someone actually loves me? So I've been married for about nine years to my wife, Mel is her name. And Mel and I were talking this last week about this question. We were kind of thinking like, you know, in real life, how do you actually know if someone actually loves you? And here's a conclusion that we came to as we thought through a lot of our different life experiences. We concluded that love proves itself in actions. Uh, Would you agree, at least to some extent, love proves itself in actions. We've all seen this in our lives, and in in fact, it kind of came up as I was asking Mel, you know, in our nine years of marriage, what are the times, what are the things I have done or said that really to you communicate love? And I was really surprised by some of her answers because some of them were things that I would never have thought of. And one of them was this. She said, "Um, John, when I have the flu, When I have the flu and I'm throwing up, and I'm sorry if this is disgusting to you guys, okay, this was her answer. When I'm kneeling in front of the toilet throwing up, if you come, when you come and you put your hand in my hair and you rub my back, that to me, that's a moment where I know that you love me. Why is that? Well, first of all, the only reason I do it is because she's told me that it means a lot to her. I would never do it otherwise, okay? (laughs) Because it is disgusting. I have to enter what I call the splatter zone. And here's the thing, I realize like this is why that communicates love to her because there's not really many other people in the world that I would do that for. I mean, if you're my friend and you have the flu, God bless you, I'll get you a bottle of water or whatever else, but I'm probably not going to enter the splatter zone and rub your back while you're puking, you know? What is it about that? It's it's self-sacrifice, right? It's willing to get your own hands dirty or be uncomfortable because you love another person more than you love your own comfort. 
And it's, you know, real love, it shows up in, in the dirty and in the yucky and in just the real life stuff. And I wonder, do you think that God loves you like that? Do you think God would enter into your messiness? Do you think he would enter into your splatter zone? Maybe because I stand up here and sometimes they put the word pastor in front of my name. You might think that I never doubt if God loves me, but I have lots of days that I do, Um, especially when I've made a mistake. You know, if I've just done something stupid or specifically if I know like something was wrong, I knew something was wrong, I knew not to do it, and I did it anyways. Afterwards, it's like, man, I know on paper God loves me, but is he going to give up on me at some point? Is he going to get tired of putting up with me? You know, another time that I doubt if God really loves me is when I'm experiencing pain. And this happened actually this last week. I have this really rare medical condition called a hemiplegic episode. And thankfully, I don't get them very often. In fact, I hadn't had one in a year. But I had one this last week, and thankfully, it was not a very bad one. But when I get them, I get the symptoms of a stroke. I lose my ability to speak, and half my body will... Um, go kind of paralyzed and have some pain and other things. And, and as I was having this one this last week, it, it, whenever these things start, I have these really candid conversations with God. And within it, I was, you know, I was really stressed out at the time. And I remember telling God, you know, God, I feel like all these different people want different parts of me, and I need to be something as a husband, I need to be something as a dad, and I need to be something in my workplace, and I need to be something as a writer. And I remember just telling God, like, I don't think I can be what all these people want me to be. And in the moment, just as clear as you're hearing me now, I heard God say to me, you are who I want you to be. Just relax. And what I want to talk about with you today is having a love relationship with God where you know that he is with you in your splatter zone, and you know that he is with you in your suffering. You know that he's with you if you get laid off at work. You know that he's with you in the difficulties of life. I want to talk to you today about a love relationship with God that very much like a marriage it has a sort of very formal beginning date that it's like that's the date that me and God committed to each other. But just like a really healthy marriage, it doesn't end there, it begins there. And you experience the love of God on a daily basis in all the ups and downs of life. Would you like to know about a relationship with God like that? Well, we're gonna learn about it in the book of Romans chapter This is a book of the Bible, and it's a book uh, that really summarizes for us God's love for us. And when you first read this verse, you might think, what does this verse even mean, okay? I've read this verse a bunch of times, and as a former newspaper reporter and writer, I I tend to think, God, this is kind of a wordy verse. But let me read it for you, and then I'll explain what it means, okay? Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. What's God talking about here? Well, God's talking about this this idea that we all kind of agreed on it to some degree that love proves itself in actions. 
Love proves itself in actions, actions over time, and the more self-sacrificing the action is, the more sincere the love is. What is the biggest self-sacrificing action that you could make for someone you love? Well, Jesus answered that in John 15, verse 13. He said, greater love has no one than this, that a person would lay down their life for their friends. So very specifically right now, I want to ask you a question. Who in your life would you be willing to die for? It's, it's probably not a long list, but are there some people in your life that you'd be willing to die for? And maybe you're at a place in your life where you think, no, not really. But I would guess there's probably some husbands in this room or some boyfriends who, if someone came in and, and they were going to take the life of your girlfriend or your wife, you would step in the way, you would intervene, and you would give your life. And you probably wouldn't do that for just anyone, but you love her so much that you would willingly lay down your life for her. I bet in this room, I bet there's some moms who you love your kids so much that if it were a life or death situation, you would step in the way and you would sacrifice your own life because that's how much you love that child. The point of this verse is to get us thinking about that. To get us thinking that, yeah, you know, even a really good person, you're probably not going to give your life for them unless you really, really love them. And with that in mind, God tells you this about how he feels about you. In verse 8, we're told this, but God demonstrates his love for us in this way. Is God going to demonstrate his love just, you know, by checking a box, by saying some words? No, he's going to prove his love with actions. While we were still sinners, and we'll explain what this means, but the idea is while we had our backs turned to God, while we were in a posture that's kind of like, you know, no thanks God, don't want your help, don't need your help, while we were turned away from him, Christ died for us. Christ died to rescue us. Now, we're in part three of this series called Jesus Loves Me. And we're using the kids' song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, For the Bible Tells Me So. We're using it as kind of a memory tool that we can carry this with us throughout life. And if you're on an airplane with a coworker or if you're tucking your kids into bed at night and someone asks you, who's Jesus, what's he about? You, you can say the words to this little song. Well, here's what it's all about. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And, and the meaning is in the words. So last week, we learned about Jesus. We learned who is Jesus, what do you have to believe about Jesus to actually plug in to the power of God. And we learned that Jesus is not just a good teacher or a prophet, and he's not one God among many gods. We learned that Jesus is the one true God. And when you believe that, you plug into the power source of the universe. It's not complicated, but it's precise. And the reason Jesus had to be the one true God is that he was the Messiah. And in fact, we learned that this word Christ, we learned last week that Christ is not Jesus' last name. And there was a point in my life where that was new information. I was like, whoa, I always thought Christ was Jesus' last name, right? Jesus Christ. But no, this word Christ is actually an ancient word for Messiah, 
And, and it's this ancient word for this prediction that God would come down among humanity to rescue humanity. So last week we learned who is Jesus? He's the one true God, the Christ. This week we're learning what do we mean when we say the one true God loves me? What do we mean when we say he loves me? And here's what we mean according to the word of God. Jesus died to prove he loves you. Jesus died to prove he loves you. He didn't just say it. He didn't just check a box. He proved it in actions. In a very well-documented public execution when he was crucified on a cross on a real day in history, and he went to that cross willingly so that he could reconnect you to your creator. So if you're tracking in the series and you're like, okay, I get why Christianity matters. I get that Jesus is the one true God. Now I understand what you're saying, but here's kind of a normal question. Why is this even necessary? You know, if God is smart and he's in control and he made everything, like why did he let things spin so out of control that he would have to self-sacrifice like this to restore us? And so to answer that question, I want to give you a, really a summary of the whole Bible in just a few minutes. And here's where it starts. It starts with God's desire. Here's God's desire for you. God desires for you to be in the very presence of God. This is kind of like the idea of God has his arm around you. And this is what you were created to experience and enjoy. Part of being in God's presence is that there is no death. There's immortality, or sometimes we call it eternal life. Part of being in God's presence is that there's no scarcity or shortage of, is there going to be enough food to go around? Part of being in God's presence is that God is the source of love. And so this longing that we have, this hunt that we're on our entire lives to be affirmed and belong by our creator, when we're in his presence, all those tensions are resolved. This is what God created us for. And God starts his love letter to us, the Bible, by telling us this repeatedly right at the beginning. Here's one example from the book of Genesis. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God and blessed them. Now, this idea of the likeness of God is something that we're really going to unpack next week. Next week, we'll look at the word me and Jesus loves me. And we'll answer the question, who are you? What does it mean to be human according to God and according to the Bible? And one of the things that we'll really explore next week is this idea that as a human being, you have an eternal soul. As a human being, you're different from the animal world. You're different from the rest of creation. You have a soul, a spiritual part of you that will outlive your body, and your soul is made in the likeness or in the image of God. What, what does that mean? Well, it means that you have a capacity to create, and it also means that you have a free will. A free will is this spiritual and moral part of you that you can choose God or you can choose away from God. And the idea of it being free is that it's yours. No one else can make the choice for you. So when God created all of creation, he makes this sort of crown jewel of creation, humanity, 
will be in my image. They will create like I create, and they will have spiritual capacity. They will be eternal beings, and they will have a free will. They can choose my ways and my presence, or if they choose, they can reject my ways and my presence. And this is the next step in the story of God and humanity. This is the bad news that there was a catastrophic divorce. There's a catastrophic divorce between humanity and God, a great chasm, an earthquake in the fabric of the universe when our spiritual ancestors, with their free wills, chose, having known God and his presence, to say, we would like to know what evil is like. And God had told them, in my presence, you won't know evil. Here's kind of the door if you want to go through it. But if you do, it will bring death. It will bring destruction. And having created us with a free will, they chose that. And just like when you're a kid and your parents have a divorce, you don't get to have a say in whether or not they divorce. And you have been born into a world that is divorced away from God because of the choices of our spiritual ancestors. And so what do we experience? Mortality that will die. We experience that we're broken away from God, and whether we realize it or not, we spend our whole lives hunting, trying to restore that relationship. And we spend our lives unresolved. Even at the, the DNA level, our bodies have components that are unresolved. That's why we get cancer. And emotionally and spiritually, we're unresolved. This is kind of like if you've seen that documentary about orca whales. And when orca whales get put in captivity at SeaWorld and these other places, that very often their giant dorsal fin will flop over on the side because they're depressed. Why are they depressed? Well, an orca whale gets depressed when it's in a, a, a cage about the size of this room because it's designed, it was created to swim thousands of miles. It's created to crisscross the globe, and now it's in a tank a little bit bigger than this room, and yeah, it's alive, but is it living? You know, it's not doing what it was created to do. And that is exactly the position that you find yourself in, because you're in a body that's broken by death and evil, by what God calls sin. In Romans 3, verse 23, God says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the idea is that we're born into a world that's already contaminated. But if we're honest, in addition to that, we've all had moments where we have made a choice that we know was not in the best interest of the people around us or not in the best interest of ourself, or not in the best interest of the moral order of God. And we've known and we've willfully gone against it. We've all had a moment like that. And so God says, all have sinned. All of humanity is on this side, broken away from God and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, this is like a Grand Canyon chasm. You can't like, you know, give enough money to a church or go on enough mission trip. You can't earn your way over here. So this is bad news, right? If the story ended here, it would be depressing. You guys ready for some good news? <laughs> Here's the good news. When God looked down and saw humanity in this position, he didn't just leave us there. He decided that he himself would intervene. 
And this is why the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, had to be human and God at the same time because, you see, he came to perform God's rescue. He came to perform God's rescue. And what Christ literally does is create a bridge between us and God. And this bridge is very significant. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, as Jesus will say many times throughout his life, the way to the kingdom of God is a narrow road. It's not just like all roads lead to God in heaven. It's a narrow road, but it's a road that is available and open to everyone. Whosoever will may come. In fact, God outright says in Scripture that he desires that no one would perish, but that everyone would come to salvation. God desires that all human beings would set foot on this bridge of rescue and be restored to God, but God respects the free will he's given you, and you get to choose for yourself if you want to accept this gift. So here's a verse that summarizes all of this really well, Romans 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news we've talked about. That's this side. side. We've got broken relationships, death, anxiety. What are wages? Well, if you've done your taxes yet this year, you've probably seen that word. It's on your W-2. You have wages, taxes, and other, or wages, tips, and other income. Wages is your paycheck, right? Wages is your salary. Wages is usually an agreed upon I will work for this much per hour or for this much per year. That will be my wage. It's, it, it's, an, it's a give and take. And what God says is the payment of sin is death. And it's interesting. It's not an immediate death. It's not like when our ancestors sinned that they immediately, God didn't strike them dead right away. And when you sin, he doesn't strike you dead right away. But what happens is you get separated from the source of eternal life. It's not like God's mad at you and so he's going to cause death in your life. It's that you've been pulled away from the source of eternal life. And until you get restored to it, you won't experience eternal life. So the wages of sin is death. But here's the good news, the gift of God. A gift is something that's free. A gift is something that you don't earn. But you do have to open it up, right? You have to receive it. The gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, our Lord. Now, here's the thing about eternal life. First of all, you know, I mean, I know right now, if I have a stroke tomorrow, if I get in a car accident and die tonight, I know with all confidence that I will wake up in God's presence in an eternal life. So that's why we could sing earlier, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm not afraid of death anymore. But here's the thing, eternal life is so much more than that. It's that, but it also begins now. Like I mentioned earlier, I know God is with me every day in this world. Eternal life begins now because I've been made right to my creator and my longing to be loved and to be accepted and to be secure, those needs have been met by my creator. And so it changes my life now and it also guarantees me eternal life after my body wears out. Think about it this way. You know, picture in your mind your age as a number. You see it? 
Now add 50 to it. You know, if life expectancy is about 80 years, will you be alive 50 years from now? Will you be alive 20 years from now? Will you be alive 60 years from now? We don't want to acknowledge it, but we have this short time on earth to decide whether or not we will receive the gift of eternal life. One of the things I love about being a dad is that with my little kids, I I get to kind of experience maybe a little bit of what God must feel like with us. Because sometimes they do silly things, sometimes they do stupid things, but I never stop loving them. Uh, Even if they say, I don't love you anymore, or I don't want to play with you ever again, I I don't stop loving them. And I get all these little pictures of what it must be like for God as he is saying, "Um, accept my free gift. Come back to me. I love you. And I had a, a picture. This happened within the last year or two. And I'm sorry that it's a little bit disgusting. It has to do with potty training, okay? But remember, we're talking about love enters into the yuckiness. Love enters into the grossness. And so here's the thing. I walk into one of my kids' bedrooms, and child is on the floor changing their clothes. This is during potty training. And I see on the rug a little pyramid of toilet paper and baby diaper wipes that appear to be covering something. And I walk into the room and I say, what's that? And the child says, that's nothing, Daddy. (laughs) And then the child, looking kind of ashamed and embarrassed, says, can you please leave? So I I walk out into the hall and kind of, you know, think for a minute, like, okay, fragile little ego, (laughs) learning, how do I handle this? Thought about it for a little while, and I walked back in, and I said, hey, um, first of all, I want you to know you're really doing a good job with the potty train. And also, you know, it's normal to have some accidents while you're still getting this figured out, and I just want you to know if there is something under there. If there is something under there, I, I, would the, do you maybe feel embarrassed that there might be something under there? Yeah, yeah. You maybe feel a little bit ashamed that there might be something under there? Yeah. Well, here's what I want you to know. Your mom and me love you. And any time in life that you feel those feelings of shame or that you're embarrassed, you need to know that we're here for you. And when you feel those feelings, you don't have to run away from us and hide whatever you're embarrassed of. You can actually run to us, and we'll always help you. We're here to help you clean up your messes, and we're here to help you learn, and we're here to help you when you feel those things. Very simply, why is it that we don't feel God's love for us? It's because we have things in our lives that we're embarrassed about. We have things in our lives that we're ashamed of. We have guilt and we have shame and whether or not we have the right words for it, we realize that there is something between us and God. And when Jesus came, what he did on the cross is that he willingly laid down his life to do the cleanup, to get dirty. And what did he take upon him? He took upon him every murder that's ever been committed. 
every lie that's ever been told, all the genocide, all the rape, all the evils of humanity that have split humanity away from God, he said, I will willingly take upon myself the cleanup duty. I will take the consequences for their mistakes so that all who desire to be made right to God can receive a free gift and be restored back to God. That's what it means that God loves you. I want to give you a physical picture of this, my favorite picture from the physical world. It's a true story. It started in August of 2010 with about 30 miners who were three miles underground. You might remember this. They were in Chile when a mine collapsed on top of them. And for about two weeks, the whole world thought these miners were dead. And then all of a sudden, someone figured out these guys, these 33 miners are alive at the bottom of this mine shaft. And what followed was one of the greatest rescue missions in human history. Because nations from all around the world gathered and NASA sent down its top engineers to help the Chilean government figure out how are we going to rescue these 33 guys who are buried three miles underground. Here's a diagram of the mine and the rescue operation. So this is the mine itself, and you can see why it collapsed. It kind of looks like a Jenga tower, right? Thing collapsed, big surprise. And attempt number one didn't quite work to get to the guys. Attempt number two didn't work. Attempt number three, drilling through solid rock, three miles down, they finally get into a chamber where the guys can be rescued. What I love about this picture is this is how God describes humanity right now. He actually outright says, we're born into a world that is fallen. We're born into a world that is collapsed. And so we, because we're made in the image of God, we still have a little bit of God in us. And so we're still very noble and there's great accomplishments and great achievements and great moments. But at the end of the day, we're in a mine shaft and none of us is going to live more than about 90 years. At the end of the day, even the best things that happen down here end up getting tainted by cancer and divorce and just evil. And so what Jesus did when he came to this world is he cut through the fabric of the universe, the God who created everything. He cut through the fabric of the universe and he made an escape tunnel. He made a way out. And he said, whoever believes in me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is why Jesus, when people would come to him and they'd say, hey, Caesar says this and this political group says this, Jesus, what do you say? Jesus would say, don't you realize my kingdom's not of this world. In other words, you guys are arguing about who's in charge of the food rations in the collapsed mine shaft. Go ahead, argue away. I came to drill a way out to an entire higher realm to be completely free from the darkness and the death and the dustiness of a collapsed world. So those miners from August of 2010 until October for 69 days, they lived in the darkness knowing that rescue was coming from above. And finally, rescue did arrive in the form of this capsule called the Phoenix. And here's a picture of the Phoenix rescue capsule. You had to step inside of it. And I love this because this is exactly how it is with God. He has done the hard work. He has made the self-sacrifice to drill down into our lives 
But this rescue capsule, it would thump down at the bottom of this mine shaft, three miles underground, and each miner had to decide for himself, will I step into this thing? It's got to be a little claustrophobic. Will I get strapped into this thing and be lifted up by a winch held by a wire rope three miles above the ground in a a tunnel that goes straight down? I mean, if that rope breaks, you're dead. Am I going to trust in that? Am I going to put my faith in that? And by placing their faith in the rescue capsule, they were acknowledging that they couldn't do it on their own. Right? Wouldn't it have been sad if one of the 33 miners, after all the effort to get to them, said, hey, you know, I've got a pickaxe and a flashlight. That way is fine for you guys, but that seems kind of narrow to me. I'm going to go find my own way to the surface. That would be sad. But that's what so many of us do when it comes to Jesus. So many of our neighbors say, well, that makes sense, but that's so narrow, I'm going to find my own way. Jesus said the way out is narrow, but it is open to all. So let's look at God's rescue again. Let's look at this bridge that Jesus created. And here's what I want to ask you very specifically. Where do you find yourself today on this picture? Do you find yourself over here, still separated from God? Have you had a moment where you've set foot by faith on believing in what Christ has done for you? Do you know with certainty that you have eternal life once your body wears out and that you can begin to experience the eternal life of God right now? Just take a moment right now and really think, where are you on here? The gift of God is eternal life. I think one of the hardest things about receiving a gift is that you can't take any credit for doing it. And I've met people who have completely understood this and they say it's it's just too easy. Well, here's what's not easy about it. Just like those miners had to admit, I can't get myself back to the top, receiving this gift the one thing that's hard about it is, is you have to humble yourself before God very simply to say, you know what, God, um, spiritually, I'm humbling myself before you and I acknowledge I can't fix myself. I can't, I can't achieve a t- eternal life. I can't fix my broken relationships. I, I can't even fix what's broken inside me. And so, you know, Jesus actually said once, he said, it's easier for a camel, a big, tall camel, to kneel down and go through a small door than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why did Jesus say that? It's not about money. It's about pride. It's about humbling ourselves. So how do you step onto this? How do you receive this gift? It's very simple. God tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Here's how you receive the gift. God says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You receive God's gift very simply by believing that Jesus is the Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins. I want to give you a chance to do that today and As you think on this, I want to tell you a true story 
actually the saddest moment of my journalism career. I was profiling a heroin addict in Phoenix, and the story had started just about a heroin epidemic. But within the interviews I was doing, I had started interviewing this 21-year-old heroin addict named Mickey. It ended up doing a profile just on Mickey. She'd come from actually a really good middle-upper-class family. Her dad was an attorney. Somewhere along the way, a friend gave her some heroin. She had injected some heroin in her arm, and, and from the first day she injected it, she was an addict. By the time I met Mickey, she was about 21. She had been addicted to heroin for two years, and she was down to 85 or 90 pounds, just this skinny little shaking creature, these electric blue eyes. And I'd meet Mickey at the drug house where she lived, and we'd walk together to the jack-in-the-box near there. And we'd sit there at the jack-in-the-box, and I would interview her. And Mickey would describe her life with just these traumatic sentences, and she would blur words together like agonizing and anguishing. She came up with this word, agishing. Her brain was just so messed up. And she was at a point where she knew she was dying and she had seen other heroin addicts at her drug house die and she wanted to get free from this. So as I'm profiling Mickey and meeting with her, I'm also talking with the best addiction recovery center in the state. And so as a reporter, I I pitched this idea to the recovery center of, hey, I know treatment, you know, six months of treatment costs like tens of thousands of dollars. But what if, if Mickey agreed to do the treatment, I could write about it all along, it'd be a lot of publicity for you guys, would you guys give her treatment for free if I agreed to cover it? They said, uh, yeah, they agreed to it. Mickey said she wanted it. So we got it all set up. The day was scheduled. The day was scheduled where we would pull up in the treatment van in front of Mickey's drug house, and all Mickey had to do to receive this free gift She didn't have to pay anything, she didn't have to do anything, but with her own free will, she would have to walk out the front door of the drug house, walk down the sidewalk, and get into the van. It was one of the saddest moments of my life. I was sitting in my own car behind the treatment center's van, and we waited there for about 15 minutes. The door doesn't open. Finally gets to 20 minutes. I get out of my car, I go up and I knock on the door, is Mickey here? Yeah, Mickey's here. I talked to Mickey. Mickey does not have the willpower to move herself to the van. And the whole agreement with the place, they're like, people can't come unless they want to come. There's this free gift, life or death. And in the moment, she just won't choose. So here's what I want to ask you today. What would keep you today from receiving God's free gift of salvation? Is there really a reason good enough to to say not today? Because I'll tell you what Mickey said, and I've worked with a lot of addicts. Oh, I'm not going to do it today, but I will do it someday. And the ones who say that never do it. The ones who say that never quit. And I wonder, is there really any reason today why you wouldn't receive God's free gift Why don't we close our eyes and let's just take a minute to connect your heart to God. And I want to ask you right now in the privacy of your heart, no one else can see in there, do you know for sure that you have received the love of God? 
He'll never stop loving you, but he won't force himself upon you. Do you know for sure that you've received that gift of salvation? And I want to give you an opportunity right now, just like a wedding day. If you don't know with 100% certainty, I know not eight or nine out of 10, but I know 10 out of 10 that I'm adopted into the family of God and I will spend eternity with God in heaven. If you don't know that 10 out of 10 today, right now can be your day. It can be your wedding day and you can look back on it the rest of your life and you can grow in love with God the rest of your life. If you want to receive that gift, I'm, I'm going to pray some words and these words are not like a magical passcode to heaven. But the idea of these words, if you voice these to God in your heart, you can be moved from darkness to light, from death to eternal life. If that's something you want to do, just repeat after me in your heart or even out loud if you want. Dear God, I I know I've made mistakes. I know there's sin in my life. But God, today I believe that you do love me. And today I receive the gift that you have given in Jesus Christ. Jesus, I believe you did die on the cross for my sins. Jesus, I believe you did rise from the dead. And Jesus, today I pray that you would forgive all my sins. Today I pray that you would adopt me into the family of God. Pray that you would make me yours. I want you to know right now, if you have prayed that prayer, that something supernatural has happened in your life and in your eternity. The chains of sin have been broken away from you. You're no longer homeless. And now you have a family. You've been adopted into the very family of God. And just like my kids with their poop on the rug, there's nothing you can do to outrun the love of God now. He is your father and he loves you and we are your family and we will love you. Hey, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, to receive his love, I just wanna say way to go and welcome into the family of God. You're surrounded in this room and in the community of believers at Connection Point with men and women who are seeing Christ change us from the inside out. Every day, he's making us better versions of ourselves. If you've made a decision to believe in Jesus today, we wanna help you with your next steps. And the best way to do that is for you to text the word BELIEVE to this number on the screen, 317-350-1996. We'd love to just send you some free resources. If you wanna chat with a pastor by text, you can, but there's no obligation to if you don't want to. In the word of God, when people believed, the next thing they did was be baptized and they would hang out with other believers. And so your next step, most importantly, is to just keep gathering here on weekends or keep watching online if you're watching online. Keep gathering. And at some point, you got to take that next step of being baptized. Next weekend, we are having baptisms. So if you've never done that before, I know it's a little scary, but it is worth it to step out and say, just like on a wedding day, I am making this relationship official. I'm a follower of Jesus. I've been baptized into the Christian faith. We'd love to baptize you next weekend or even just answer questions for you about that. Again, if you've believed today, text the word believe to 317-350-1996. Let's celebrate now this new life that we have in Jesus.